What's going on, everybody? Pete Forsey, the podcast. It's episode 38. Thanks for tuning in. I'm glad to be back. Baseball is in full swing. We got spring training games. Finally, something to get me through the winter. Something to get me through the cold. There's snow trickling down here in Chicago, Illinois. Cannot stand it. I am dreaming of warm weather. It's nice to look at a baseball field where it looks fabulous. The Cardinals played today. I'm going to talk about Alex Reyes specifically. Big season for him. Pivotal season for him. But who is responsible for how his career has gone? That's what I want to touch on. I'm going to touch on Luis Severino, Yankees right-handed pitcher in the same realm, same neighborhood when we're talking about health. Ben Roethlisberger, another guy we're going to talk about health. We're talking about today. Is it more skill or is it more luck? I don't take the position most people do. But more generally, we will hit on the Astros. They will not go away. In their first spring training game, they did not play one regular, much to the chagrin of MLB. They need to be doing that. I'm certain they will get fine. And we will also talk about, overall, has Manfred lost the trust of Major League Baseball? And of course, the team that everyone is talking about in St. Louis, it's not the Blues. They're playing tonight. It's not the Cardinals. It's the XFL Battlehawks. We're going to hit on it all. Let's get to it. It's episode 38 of the podcast. Okay, so diving right into the biggest story this spring training, it's been the Houston Astros, of course, getting caught cheating, stealing signs illegally via electronics. Now, I know this was certainly something that crossed the line. I definitely think it should be reprimanded for. The Astros got caught. They had a punishment handed down, and I agreed with the punishment, quite frankly. I agreed that the people in charge, Jeff Lunau, A.J. Hinch, the manager, they are the ones that have to suffer because they are the ones policing the organization. And as Rob Manfred pointed out, it's nearly impossible to pinpoint which players benefited from the scheme, which players spearheaded the campaign, which players really were the ones that were using it. You just don't know. You might have an idea, but can you gain clarity? Can you gain for certain that this player benefited. No, you can't. So that's why you hand down the punishment to those in charge. What I did not expect when we opened spring training, I guess it's like a couple weeks ago now because we're playing games. I uh, was watching the Dodgers and the Cubs or the Dodgers and the White Sox just the other day. What I did not expect out of Major League Baseball was just the widespread outcry from the players. Now, Obviously, there were players' careers, players' lives that were affected from this. Everyone knows that. But the reason I was not expecting this is because I definitely don't think every clubhouse is clean, every clubhouse outside the Astros. So for other players to speak out this passionately, this dogmatically, really speaks to either one of two things. One, everyone's a bunch of hypocrites. I tend to lean this way. I do. I tend to lean that some of these players that are passionately speaking out are ones that now understand anything that was going on in their clubhouse is not going to get unearthed because of what happened in Houston. So they're confident, but at the same time, they're complicit as well. That's where I tend to lean. But number two is that it wasn't going on, and they're just completely fed up that this was going on for basically three-plus years in Houston And they're letting the commissioner know about it. And they're saying you got to hand down to the guys that reap the benefits and those that were affected on the field. So I get the emotion. 
But what they completely lose sight of is that you would never have gained the facts, the facts that you are basing your conclusion from without the immunity. You have to give the players immunity to cut straight through to the point, to the bottom line. Rob Manfred had no choice but to do that. Otherwise, players would just go in there and lie. They wouldn't give them anything. They wouldn't have to speak to them. The players' union would fight against it. Tony Clark said, I'm never going to apologize for defending a player's rights. Rob Manfred, has he lost the trust of Major League Baseball? Yeah, for the moment. Like, for now, everyone is looking at Rob Manfred like he's a clown. There's some people that think he knew more about the Astros before the athletic report in November. I don't tend to lean that way. I think it was just more of he heard rumblings. He heard rumblings and rumors, but he didn't actually have evidence. To hand something down, you need support. You need evidence. He probably didn't have that, so there's no reason to launch an investigation. He just heard about it and said, yeah, knock it off if this is true. Otherwise, you know the penalties. I named it in 2017 during the fall with Apple Watch Gate with the Red Sox. Rob Manfred, just like every other commissioner in sport, you're hated for the latest story. You're hated for the latest thing that everyone is talking about. It will blow over. How does it affect my team? How does it affect my organization? How does it personally affect me? You may be upset for a little bit, but the next thing, that's all that counts. He's hes a pragmatic person. He did the most pragmatic thing in this situation. He will soon be loved by another organization. He will soon be hated by another organization because he's going to be the commissioner for the next 10 years. He's already on his sixth year, which is hard to believe, but he's done such a good job and he's doing so much to try to grow the game. He's trying. I'm not saying it's effective necessarily. He's trying. He's trying to grow the game, and he's going to bring two new baseball cities. That is what his commissionership will be known for when it's all said and done. He's made it abundantly clear. That's what I've ascertained since he took office. I want to bring, I want to expand Major League Baseball. I think it's going to happen at this point in time. You know, it's difficult to tell, but I think. Austin, Texas is on the table. I think Charlotte, North Carolina, Portland, Oregon, Montreal. Those are cities that after the Rays and the A's, they get their stadium situations filled out or, you know, they get that squared away, I should say. That will be something to watch because that's what Rob Manfred will do. He will do some good things. He didn't handle this the best way, calling the trophy a piece of metal. But overall, has he lost the trust of MLB? I do not think so. It's just the latest black mark. He'll be all right. Okay, let's actually dive into the stuff on the field now. Like I mentioned, we're full in uh, we're in full swing in the actual games now in spring training, and I didn't catch any of this game today. But the reason I definitely wanted to talk about it is because we have the return of Alex Reyes, and I guess the return meaning there's a national audience watching him, or at least a regional audience. He's playing with big league players. It's in spring training. Alex Reyes, right-handed pitcher, St. Louis Cardinals. He was out there today, and look. I think he's as talented as any prospect that comes along. The issue I have is that people think Alex Reyes, oh, he's just he's faced adversity. Mike Schilt was talking about that today, and he's just had bad luck going against him. And that's where I have to butt in. And people may think, I know modern media, for a lot of people, they can't take it because they think it's too negative. They think it's too critical of players. Build people up. Why do you have to break them down? Well, you know what? I got strong opinions when people don't control the things that they can control. 
The athletes are programmed to talk, control things I can control. They are trained by their PR, and then they don't do it. This is where words don't meet action. Alex Reyes, the, from the moment he stepped on a big league mound, he was about 15 pounds overweight, and he didn't have any control over his training regimen. He didn't know how to keep his arm healthy based off how he was being used. He didn't know how to train properly to be a big league pitcher. And when you combine that with the fact he's still learning how to attack hitters, he's more than likely going to get injured. And it could happen more than once. And that's exactly what happened. Because Alex Reyes doesn't know how to play as a big leaguer yet. Now, did I play in the major leagues? No. I did not. But I can tell that this guy has no idea what he's doing because I've seen successful major league pitchers. Talk about Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner. In the own Cardinals clubhouse, Adam Wainwright, guys that are competing for Cy Youngs. You know what they talk about? They talk about their habits, their routine, how they adjust based how they're being used, how they adjust when they don't have their best stuff, or what they have to do to get where they need to be, because they've done it before. It's the guys that pay attention and take ownership of how they prepare. Alex Reyes, it has not been there. And look, it's a spring training line, I know. He threw a third of an inning. He gave up two hits, two runs, two earned, and walked two today. Not a good start in the spring when you're competing for a spot. Plenty of time to make up. But all I know about Alex Reyes, the guy admittedly said he paid way too much uh, attendance in the club over the years. He stayed out late. He didn't prepare his arm. And these injuries are simply just not a matter of bad luck. They're not. They really are not. This is Alex Reyes having no idea how to prepare and how to pitch as a big leaguer, and we'll see if that changes. He's very young. He could get it together. He's around some good arms. Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, guys that do know how to prepare. Flaherty, a young guy that's proven it. Wainwright, a veteran, obviously. We'll see if anything changes. Alex Reyes, currently how it's gone, I don't like his future going forward. Let's stick with St. Louis sports because the team, the team that has taken the town by storm in the last, I don't know, 10 days, I guess, The St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL Extreme Football League, they are winning football games. The first football game in the Edward Jones Dome, I guess formerly the Edward Jones Dome, Dome of America Center in St. Louis, the concrete hole. They hosted football, American football on their field, and it wasn't a full stadium. You're never going to get a full stadium for the minor leagues, which is what the XFL is, but the fans showed out. Caw, caw. St. Louis loves their Hawks. The reason I want to talk about this, I've already talked about the viability going forward. I don't love it. I don't love it. But I will say the premise of that position for me was, I'm not going to say largely, but a big factor of why I think it doesn't have a chance to really become popular is because currently they're in NFL cities. They're in Houston, they're in L.A., they're in New York, they're in Tampa Bay, they're in Seattle. All those teams have NFL teams, okay? St. Louis is the only team that they went to that doesn't currently have an NFL team. And I think you're seeing how that could potentially benefit the NFL and flip the position that I'm at. Right now, I don't understand why any person in New York would want to watch the Guardians. I don't see why any individual in Seattle would want to watch the Dragons. They have NFL teams. I don't watch minor league baseball. I don't watch full games unless I'm attending it live. I don't watch it ever because I want to watch the best. The reason St. Louis will watch the Battlehawks is because they don't have anything else. So yeah, call, call away. Go to the games, 
watch some, you know, okay football. This is basically the best players from college that weren't able to hack it in the NFL. Maybe if they go here, they'll have a shot. But it's also a perfect example of people want to do things. Millennials, they want to go to events. Maybe they're on their phone half the time. Maybe they're going to do it just so they can post the pick later. But they do want to go. They will pay the price of admission. St. Louis is a perfect example of that. Civic pride. People want to do things that people are talking about. Caw, caw. What is that known as now in St. Louis? Battlehawks, baby. The Battlehawks have some real viability in St. Louis. If you prove that you care about the town, this is the team. If you prove that you care about the town, people will go to the games. They'll show up. They'll support. And right now, they got some real players out there, right? Teamo, the Hawaiian, second in the league in passing. Matt Jones, first in rushing. They're ground and pound, baby. They don't have too many great pass catchers right now. Um, I, I've watched a little bit. It's not like I've sat through these games start to finish. But it is interesting with the different rule changes. You can create a nine-point play, the kickoffs, the replays. I, you know, I don't think that's something to sit down and watch the game for, but it is interesting how they go about that. If the XFL flips the script as far as where they're putting these teams, that could really benefit them. St. Louis is really showing you that when you bring things to do to a city or you create things, whether it's a sporting team, whether it's a concert, that's what people go to cities for. That's why they stay in cities if they're born there. That's why they move there is because they want to do things. They want to have fun. This is another fun thing to do for St. Louis. Good for my hometown. They got the Battle Hawks. People will now know for sure what someone is saying when you walk down the street. Caw, caw. It's the XFL, baby. It's the Battle Hawks. They are St. Louis's team. This recording is coming at you on Tuesday, February 25th in the evening. I got the Blues and the Blackhawks. Looks like they're playing at Enterprise Center. I got that on in the background, but what is happening this Thursday, the start of, and players have already checked in and we've gotten some news, is the NFL Combine. It's the only thing that's, you know, get me through the winter here. I can't I can't stand it, knowing that football's over and baseball is yet to start. But, you know, we got stuff like this. And I like the Combine. I do. I don't think it's a t- end-all, be-all. You know, Bruce Arians had a quote today, you may run a 4-3 out here, but you run a 4-6 on the field. There's combine speed and then there's game speed this isn't everything but you do take a lot of things away from it namely interviews what are people saying what are the conversations you're having with these prospects what are the conversations you're having with the rest of the league big takeaway here that we want to talk about is really the quarterbacks joe burrow spoke he said i'll play with the Bengals. i'm a baller i'll show up i just want to play some football he took the politically correct route there good job on him i think that's what you have to do Could he have gone the Elway route, the Eli route? Yeah, he could have. I don't think that's the best option for him, though. People may say, it's the Bengals, it's Mike Brown, he medals. They're out of date. They're run differently than every other organization. They haven't won in 50 years. I get all that, okay? But I think there's just more harm than good in this situation. Let's not forget, Joe Burrow has had one good college season. He's had one good year. He had that great offensive coordinator, Brady, now with the Carolina Panthers. He also had studs, just numerous draftable players over at LSU. The pass catcher's excellent. He was also a fifth-year quarterback. He's 23 and didn't really have a good season until his last year. Now, there's development curve. Okay, I get that. 
but let's wonder why that is. Is it Brady? Was it the talent around him? Was it the fact you only had one class your senior year of college? I know that's something that you know isn't intangible, and a lot of people don't like to talk about that stuff, but that's something that matters, right? He was able to focus more, and maybe it will serve him well as a professional because it replicates that schedule a little bit more. But all those things considered, why weren't you good originally? Why did you have to transfer out of Ohio State? Why didn't you have a great year in 2018? If I'm Joe Burrow, those are reasons. Don't worry about the Bengals and how they're run. Take the guaranteed cash. There's a difference between one and three in guaranteed dollars. Don't take that risk. Because you know what? That could be your highest contract when it's all said and done. I like Burrow. I don't think he's a stud necessarily. But that could be your biggest contract that you ever get. Okay? So just go ahead. Take number one overall. I hope he actually means it when he says that. And then it's not just saving face necessarily i hope he actually feels that way and he'll give it his all for the Bengals. this idea that he should go eli slash elway i don't agree with that but digging into the other quarterbacks the, herbert Tua, that's the ones we'll focus on i like to a lot above the shoulders clearly the guy is just a high level individual high level individual he's got a little bit of uh russell wilson to his game he's got a nice deep ball i don't think it's the best deep ball that i've seen He's got a pretty good IQ for a quarterback that comes from Alabama where, you know, mixed results there as far as how they've used their quarterbacks in the past. But he's got a nasty injury. He's got a hip injury. I am worried about that hip. And the problem is, is time goes on. You're never going to get a real clear cut answer. You better trust your medical doctors that are able to put their hands on them during this process until it's draft time. Because the teams that really want them, they'll either try to stay quiet about it publicly and trust their results, or they'll try, try and leak something, so then it throws everybody else off. It's lying season, as they say. And that's the thing about Tua. You'll never know until you actually get your hands on them. And then after that, do you trust what your doctors are saying? If I'm the GM, if I'm the head coach, it's a scary situation for any organization. Tua, he knows his body, so he feels good about where he's at. But then it's a question of who's going to select me. I like to a lot, you know, the player. Again, with a lot of these quarterbacks, I don't see elite potential. I see typically ceilings of great. You know, I think Tua definitely as a lefty, that is a little bit of a wrinkle. It's not necessarily a detriment, but a lot of wide receivers are not used to being or catching a football from a lefty. So just the tracking of the football might mean that you have to have some elite pass catchers on your team. Might have to surround him with better talent. I like him, but I don't know if he's a top five pick or at least the teams within that range. I might trade out of it if someone falls in love with Tua. And then the last one, Herbert, I don't get it. Are you really going to draft this guy in the first round just because he's athletic? This is classic case. Classic case of a coach who just is sitting there in the meeting room, pounding the table, saying, let me get my hands on him. Let me coach this guy up and watch what happens. I get it, okay? He's athletic. He's got all the measurables there, but you actually have to perform. This guy overthrows people. He doesn't see the field necessarily. Yeah, he can scramble for a first down, and he may provide you some wins, okay? He might be sensational in some games, but he's going to throw you out of a lot of games, and he's going to make bad decision-making. He's not going to make plays for you in games. You know, I like consistency. I like efficiency, just like anything. Whether it's my day-to-day, 
in my routine. I like a quick breakfast. I like an efficient breakfast. I also like quick decisions from the quarterback. I like efficient decisions from the quarterback. That's how I like it. Other people like boom or bust. I don't understand it because, frankly, it's more volatile. You're not going to win as many games. If you do that with Justin Herbert, if you select him, that's the type of player you're getting. I don't think that's a good uh, selection in the long run. I think this is more of a project, not a prospect. Draft him in the third round, develop him, see what you got. Getting back to baseball, Luis Severino, New York Yankees right-handed pitcher, Tommy John surgery. He's got to be out for the year. This is a crushing, crushing blow, especially for how I touted him. Luis Severino is a guy that I've always said, I always thought he had control of how he pitched. He was always a guy that started out hot but was able to rear it back. He would throw 100 miles an hour in the first inning and then realize from attacking hitters and reading hitters, I don't have to throw 100, I can rear back to 95. But he would always start out of the gate hot like a lot of modern pitchers, a lot of young pitchers. It's full go, all out effort until I'm out of gas. And I thought he had a good handle on that. I said, this is what Carlos Martinez, this is what Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals has no idea how to control. And Severino, for a while, he stayed healthy. But I think the innings totals, the inning totals from 2017, uh, the year before that, you know, it was, it was too much too soon. And he had a shoulder issue last year. Then there was forearm discomfort last week after a bullpen when he threw his changeup. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no. This, this is happening too much now. And now it's Tommy John. And I think it either goes to show, one, I overstated just how meticulous Severino in control of his work he was. Or number two, it's that throwing that hard, no matter what, you're going to be in danger. And Tommy John, people will shrug it off. Oh, it's just a year. He'll be back. Practically good as new. Maybe even better. And it's just not the case. It's just not. John Smoltz, Hall of Fame pitcher, He's the first pitcher to be in the Hall of Fame that had Tommy John surgery. He just got inducted a couple years ago, the first one. And he said famously, I might be the last. I might be the last one to be in the Hall of Fame because not enough pitchers, after they've had the surgery, are going to pitch long enough. People think that it's just you know, customary. It's just something you do. Your elbow snaps after a certain amount of time and you go again. But what he brings to light is that people aren't training to avoid it. People are pitching in the hand. They're pitching into the analytics. It's more efficient to get to the major leagues by pitching shorter, focusing on fewer pitches instead of developing your arsenal and getting to the major leagues that way, getting there later after learning how to pitch and learning how to learn your body. Smoltz definitely advocates for people coming up later. So these things can be avoided, Tommy John surgery. Tom Brady, a guy who's not even in the sport, a guy who's big on pliability and prehab, not rehab, but prehab and avoiding injuries, he said it drives him nuts. It drives him nuts that all these pitchers in baseball have Tommy John because it's avoidable. It's avoidable in the science and the biology and how you recover and the choices that you make. And it just seems the game. It's not tailored for pitchers to stay healthy. It's tailored for pitchers to break down after a few years and next in line. Next in line, you're up. 
Luis Severino, I'm not saying he's going to be that guy, but he's just another victim to this whole thing. Where, yeah, maybe you get a couple good years out of him. Matt Harvey. But then it's sayonara. See ya. When really you could have a better career if you just paid a little more attention to it. If organizations committed to it. If you would bring him up at age 24 instead of age 22 when they can just fill a need merrily out of the pen. Play the long game a little bit more. It's another sad day. Someone someone in Severino that I thought wouldn't fall victim to this, he has. Tommy John surgery for the young right-handed pitcher. The Yankees lose another arm. Keeping things on health. This is a big control what you can control. And if there's one takeaway that I took from playing and analyzing, researching sports is that Health is more skill than it is luck. And we've got a lot of topics on that here in the coming days. Here in the past few days, I should say it rather. Ben Roethlisberger. Kevin Colbert, the GM, believes they could see Ben Roethlisberger better than ever. Ben Roethlisberger better than ever after his elbow ripped, after seeing him on the sidelines for an entire year with the Steelers. And, you know, I'm a guy. The eye test is not everything. It really isn't. Pablo Sandoval, okay, Bartolo Colon, uh, other sports, gosh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal. He was always kind of heavy, but effective players. I'm not going to say Ben Roethlisberger can't play based off the way he looks, but he was really not passing the eyeball test. And he never really has passed the eyeball test. I always thought he was a little bit heavy. But for a guy, after all the drama that they had in the offseason prior, Le'Veon Bell, A.B., former teammates critical of him, I thought Ben was going to show up a little bit trimmer, a little bit more tip-top shape, and he didn't. And that's not necessarily what led to his injury, but he didn't look good going in. And for Kevin Colbert to say this and to double down on Ben Roethlisberger and to trade a first-round pick for Mika Fitzpatrick, who... You know, did he play well? Yeah. Were a lot of those interceptions luck? If you go back and watch the tape, they kind of were. He's a good player. I don't know still if it was worth a first-round pick. But all this writing on the wall, all these signs that we have, I don't like it for Pittsburgh, all right? I I, I think they're entering a, a, a danger zone here, and the writing soon could be on the wall. I like Mike Tomlin a lot as long as he's the head coach. I don't think they're ever going to, you know, crush a season. They're never going to be 3 and 13, 4 and 12. They'll always at minimum. They'll get 6 wins, 7 wins, 8 wins. You know, they almost snuck into the playoffs this year. Okay? I love the fight in them. But to double down on Roethlisberger, like I mentioned, they should look at Herbert, you know, in in the 3rd round or something. He won't be around there, but I'm saying in theory, that would be a good prospect for him. I don't think Roethlisberger is going to have two more years left in him. I think he's got one season, and then we're going to know. And I'm okay being a year late on it. I'm okay being a year late on it. But if Colbert actually thinks he's going to get Roethlisberger better than ever, buddy, you are not seeing the same signs that I am. And it's as basic as the eyeball test. Ben, gifted passer as you'll ever see. I'm telling you right now, I do not feel good about him going into 2020. Okay, that's going to do it, y'all. Appreciate everyone listening. I'm going to need your questions. You're going to have to at me. 
You're going to have to slide up in those DMs. Let me know what you're thinking. We got baseball season around the corner. We got free agency in the NFL. Hit up the text line slash hotline. It's 816-226-7483. If you leave a voicemail, I'll play it right here on the show. You will get your action on the podcast, and I will respond to it here on the show. Or if you text it, I will read it aloud. Again, the number is 816-226-7483. You can slide up in those direct messages at Pete4C. My name, number four, letter C. It's Instagram. It's Twitter. You can send me a photo if you want on Snapchat. We're on social media. We're going to see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast.